0: All right, so, I don't know if you can believe this, church, but after just under 39 weeks, at just under 40 weeks in the book of Philippians, today we're going to bring it to a close. Oh, I got, I got a gasp. Oh, a gasp. <laughs> Listen, if if you've been here from the beginning, you know how much I love this book. This book has had a major influence on my life. God has used it over and over and over in my life. So I'm really torn about today. I am so glad that we spent so much time diving into just the rich depths of this book. I'm so glad that you got to walk through it with us and see that sometimes, like we do with the Gospel of John, it's really good to look at the Bible in bigger chunks and look at the bigger picture. But sometimes it's really good to just stop and meditate on one verse or even one word at times. And then when it says something like, God calls me a saint, what does that mean? That we don't move on from even that one word until we understand what it means to be a saint of the living God. So slow down and really meditate and spend time. Listen, that's kind of why we went through Philippians so slow, so you could see it. Sometimes we just need to read read big chunks. Sometimes we need to slow way down and think and meditate. And pray, and let the Holy Spirit do the work while we're waiting on the Lord to speak to us and guide us. And so I'm so glad we spent so much time doing that. But I'm also kind of ready to move on, right? I'm ready. We're going to do Advent over the next three weeks after this, and then we're going to jump in our series on prayer. And then in the spring we'll jump into another big book study. I don't have that figured out yet. I've kind of hinted that we might, we might know where we're going, but um, we don't know yet. So I don't want to spoil that yet. But I'm just really excited for what we, what what we're doing next. But but today we're going to wrap up this letter. And so if you haven't been with us, we have said that the main theme of this letter, of this book of Philippians, is divine humility. Right? That really this, this whole book is trying to point us to how we can live in and how we can display and we can find our hope in the one who gave his life for all of mankind. And, and Jesus Christ who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross so that, so that we not only might be saved but so that we might be welcomed into his family as what this book calls, as I mentioned earlier, a saint. That because of what Jesus did, God doesn't look at us as some broke down sinner. No, he looks at us as his saints, his children, the people who will be welcomed into his, his forever kingdom. And that, that's really what it's, and it's all rooted in the divine humility of Christ. And what I love about our closing passage this week is we really kind of get to see it all come for, full circle. From where we started to where we, where we finished, there's like, like a circle to it. And, and really what it's, what it's going to point us to is that by living in and walking in the divine, the divine humility of Christ that, that is in us, that we really can bear the fruit of Christ. And as we bear the fruit of Christ that is now in us through Jesus Christ, we will bring glory to Christ. Like that's just how it goes. We bear fruit for his name. We bring glory to, to his name. And, and really where we're going to land today is all of that, all the things that we can do, should do, are capable of, are all made possible by the grace of Christ, And that's where we're gonna land today. And that's really where we started this letter, as you're gonna see here in a minute. And none of this, none of the things I'm saying are, are are really seen any more clearly than the closing statements of Paul. And so we began kind of Paul's closing statements of this letter last week. And 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 really what we're going to see in this, this closing is the way that this church, the Philippian church, so if you're unfamiliar, the, the book of Philippians was written to an actual church in the Greek city of Philippi by the Apostle Paul while he was in jail. He wrote this letter to them. And the way this church has loved Paul while Paul is suffering in jail, Paul is in jail for his faith, and while, how this church has loved Paul while he's suffering in jail, as we're going to see, also the way that they have loved him basically for years and years has shown not only their love for Paul, which we're going to see, but it also displays their love for Jesus Christ. In this church, the way this letter closes, we're going to see the humility, this divine humility that we've been talking about displayed in this church. We're going to see it put into practice. We're going to see how it brings glory to God. So here's what, here's what Paul started with last week in his kind of closing statement. He said that, listen, I rejoice. I have so much joy because you have seen fit to take care of me. If you remember, they sent him a care package through a man named Epaphroditus from their church. And that's really the, the reason. It's not the theme, but it's kind of the reason that Paul is writing this letter. They've, they've sent him a care package, probably had money, probably had all kinds of supplies that Paul needed while he was in jail. And so he's writing this letter to thank them for that. But he also says in that thankfulness, while he's rejoicing, that even though he's thankful, he's not dependent on them to be okay. He's not dependent on their care. For Paul said last week, I know what it is to abound, to have plenty. And I know what it is to be brought low, to have virtually nothing in this life, but I've learned in all things, I can be content because of Christ's strength in me. That Christ's strength, whether in the biggest highs or the lowest lows is enough for me. So he's saying, I am so thankful for you, but you don't, and, and I, thank, I thank you for what you've done, but you don't have to worry about me because I am content in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at the second half of that closing statement today. And really, it's going to bring all kind of the themes of this letter together. And just a, really, just a really satisfying and encouraging conclusion to this letter. So with that, let's jump back into the Word today. If you haven't opened up your Bibles yet, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And where we're going to be should be pretty easy to find. It's at the end. We're going to start in verse 14. Philippians chapter 4, verse 14 says this. Yet it was kind of you to share. That word share means to partner. It means to fellowship. It means like what you walk through with family. Like it's, it's that Greek word of like fellowship. So he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. You sent help for my needs once and again. So this is Paul not only telling them how much he appreciated their support and how thankful he was, but that it was just another example of their love and, and generosity to Paul throughout his entire ministry. Like this wasn't a one-time deal. They had done this again and again. When Paul says here, he says, in the beginning of the gospel, he, he's probably talking about when the gospel goes to new places for the first time. If you got your Bibles still, flip back to Philippians chapter 1. I want you to look at a verse with, with me. We're going to start in verse nine of chapter one. But we're going to read through verse 11. And verse 11 is really kind of the main point I want us to see. So in Philippians chapter one, verse nine says this, and this is pray- Paul talking about his prayers to the church. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may be able to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And here's, here it is, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And what I just realized is we're going to read that again later, but that's not what I wanted you to read right now. So go back up. To, that's a really good passage. We needed it right now, but we but let's jump up for a minute before we get there. Um, go back up to verse 5. That's really what I wanted you to read now. Um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 5. So keep your place in Philippians chapter 1 and read verse 5 with me now. Because of your partnership, again, that's like fellowship. That's That's family, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That phrasing is used there too, right? The the gospel from the first day until now. So um, this is Paul rejoicing in their partnership of the gospel from the first day, meaning when he first met them and they first became believers, right? That's how the church started. From the first day when I first met you, when you first became believers, when we first became a church, until this day while I'm in jail and you're supporting me now, Right, So that he's communicating about where the gospel started. So when he says in the beginning of the gospel, I believe he's saying when, when I'm taking the gospel to new places, where I'm taking the gospel to where it's never been heard before, you've supported me in that. And not only have they supported Paul when he takes the gospel all through Asia Minor, which is like Turkey and just a little bit east of Turkey and kind of the, the eastern part of Europe, like that's kind of like Asia, Asia Minor. He also said, you even supported me when I took the gospel to your neighbor's. See, the city of Thessalonica, where we get the, the letters of First and Second Thessalonians in the Bible, Paul went to the city of Thessalonica and started a church too, and they're basically neighbors with Philippi. So what he's saying, whether I was going a really long way away or whether I was kind of going down the street to your neighbors, you've supported me. You, you've partnered with me in taking the gospel to places that it's never gone before, which is kind of beautiful. And here's what I love about this. like this is, That's awesome anyway that they supported Paul all through this, but it was even more than that. See, this church has been faithful in the mission to take the gospel to places it hasn't gone before, no matter what their circumstances. I think sometimes when, when we go ourselves to take the gospel to other places, or when we financially support people to take the gospel to other places, we kind of have to wait until we're ready, until we're in the right financial position, or everything kind of lines up in our life. But, but listen to this. In another letter that Paul wrote to another church in the city of Corinth, that's where we get First and Second Corinthians, Paul says this to the Corinthian church in a letter he wrote to them. This is 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 4. We want you to know, brothers, and he's talking to the church, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Philippi is in the area of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, suffering and persecution, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly of the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, is that not a display of the divine humility of Jesus Christ, of counting others as more significant than yourselves? This poor church, this church suffering under heavy affliction and persecution, truly looked not only to their own interests, but they looked... Not first to themselves, but they gave out of, listen, their extreme poverty to not only help support Paul and his ministry, to not only see the gospel go to other places, but what the context of that passage was, is they were even sending money and help and relief to the really poor, struggling believers in Jerusalem. Now, is that not kind of amazing that this extremely poor church was was doing this and seeing the gospel go forth like this, this is the kind of humility, church. This is the kind of radical generosity that people can't help take notice of. You know, when we talk about being holy, being holy is being pure, right? Being holy is not sinning and doing what God's called you to, but if you've heard me talk about this before, kind of the Hebrew word for holy really kind of means set apart. God calls us to be set apart. And what would set us apart more And if people looked at our radical, not some, radical generosity, and they were moved by that, that they they almost couldn't even understand how generous we were because of our love of Jesus Christ, that makes people take notice. That makes people wonder, why are these people different? And some people will think that's ridiculous and dumb and ignorant. And some people will be moved, and they'll be intrigued, and they'll begin to ask questions. What a beautiful display of God's generosity to us and God's humility to us through Jesus Christ that this church is displaying through Paul and his ministry. I don't know about church, I don't know about you, church, but don't you want to be this kind of family? But isn't it scary? Can I'll just, we can be honest, right? Isn't it kind of scary? Because um, I I don't think you can come tell me if you are, but I don't think our church is full of a bunch of rich people, right? Everything would be a little bit easier. We could build that new community center that we want to build if one of you just had three million dollars, but any any anybody? No, yeah, me either. We're, we're not exactly what you would call a wealthy church, but we didn't plant a church on the northwest side of Springfield to be a wealthy church, did we? Right? We're here because we want to love this community. But like, listen, this isn't about being wealthy, is it? It has nothing to do with that. It's about rad- radical generosity, no matter your situation. Listen, this is not part of my sermon really today, but I, I, I've heard people say, and believe me, I've thought this before, because when Chris and I got married, we were poor, man. I was still in college. We were poor, and. There's this thought of when I get this much, then I will be generous. Then I will give back. Then I'll tithe. Listen, what I've seen over and over is if you're not faithful with a little, you're not going to be faithful with a lot. This isn't about how much you have. This church displays. This has nothing to do with how much you actually have. This is about being extremely generous with what God has given you. And this church just man... It's so beautiful. So no matter how much money as a church we ever have, church, let's be the kind of church that is, is radically generous enough that we're always supporting and sending missionaries to places where the gospel's never gone. We're always willing to support people who are taking the gospel to unreached places. And we're always willing, even churches in our city that we hear that are struggling, maybe it's sometimes as a church, we need to write a check to that church to help them out so they can get through a hard time because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Grace Community Church does for us. They're not sending us checks because they think we're a too poor of a church, but they're a south side church that now partners with us. I just got another check in the mail from them. Why? Because they believe in the mission of Freshwater and that we're here to love the people on the northwest side of town and they see the need there. They see us as missionaries, so they want to support us in the work that they're doing. They're being radically generous with us. What a beautiful display of the gospel. What a beautiful display of the gospel this church is. Now, all that being said, Paul wants to remind them once again, that not only is he content in no matter what comes, but Paul wants to remind them that in the end, the joy of of their support in him is not really about him at all. He appreciates it, but it's not about him. But but what it's really about is what it means for the work that Christ is doing in them. Look at verse 17. Go back to Philippians chapter 4. We're just going to look at one verse quickly. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 17 not that i seek the gift but i seek the fruit that increases to your credit i seek the fruit that increases to your credit paul is making clear as he has already made clear that he's not his not his main concern is not about being supported but that they are acting so generously by them giving so humbly god is going to work it out so the fruit in their life the fruit in their heart is going to increase now Exactly what fruit is that? Because what this phrase really means in the Greek is that it's being built up in their account. It's like if they had an account of fruit from God, it's building up in their account. So what is the fruit that it's talking about here? Can anybody guess where we're going to turn? Philippians 1, chapter, Philippians 1 verse 9. This is when we were supposed to turn there, right? You've already got a peek at it, but let's, let's go back to Philippians chapter 1 and read verses 9 through 11. And again, it talks about fruit in verse 11, but I want you to have the context. Philippians 1 verse 9 says this. So Paul says in this passage, one of his main things, this is his prayer for them. I want your love to abound more and more. I want you to grow in knowledge. I want you to grow in discernment. I want you to understand what is excellent so when Jesus Christ returns, you can stand before him with boldness. But then he says, I also want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. So what does it look like for us to bear the fruit of righteousness in our lives? I said, What does it mean to bear the fruit of righteousness in your life? Does anything come to your mind? You don't have to shout it out, but I'm just asking, does anything come to your mind? Because here's what it is. Here's what the fruit of righteousness is. We, there's a lot of things that we could say, but I think it's the things that, that God has been trying to teach us through Paul in this letter from the very start. The fruit of righteousness that, that God will bear in our lives as it builds up in our account is that we might be filled with the joy of Jesus Christ. That as a church, we might be unified in heart and soul and mind in Jesus Christ. That our lives would advance the gospel, that we would talk about Jesus, that we want other people to know about Jesus, that that we would grow in our worship, that we would walk in the power of Jesus Christ's resurrection in our lives and believe that we have that power, that we would have hope and suffering, that we'd have peace and anxiety that we would live in the truth, like this is truth, we would live in the truth that Jesus Christ wants to guard our hearts and minds, so that we might know when we feel overwhelmed, we'll never truly be overwhelmed in Christ, because he's guarding us. Like this is the kind of fruit that is born. We can think of the fruit of the Spirit, and that's this, to be gentle and kind and loving and full of joy. Yes, all of those things, but it's all the things that he's been teaching us all through this letter. More than anything, bearing the fruit of righteousness is being content. Being content in the one who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, so that he might bear all of our sin, wash us clean, and be capable of bearing the fruit of Jesus Christ. And not only that, not only so that we might be saved and redeemed, but so that we might be called saints. Always keep that in your heart and mind, church, that we are not broke down sinners. We are saints. And that one day Jesus Christ is going to return and he's going to just do away with this lowly broken body and he's going to give us a pure, beautiful, glorious body like his in eternity. In short, the fruit of righteousness is us growing into the image of Christ, who is our righteousness. Who is our righteousness. So Paul's hope and joy for them isn't in the gift, but that through this gift, he is clearly seeing the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the fruit of Jesus Christ, bearing real fruit in their lives. That's a beautiful thing. I don't think this is something that Paul just says. Like I think if we say something like that sometimes, it's just kind of like the Christian thing to say. This is just who Paul is. He's always thinking about how he can pour out his life for other people as Jesus Christ did for him, as Jesus Christ did for him. And and this bearing of this fruit really brings us to what I think is not only the main point of this letter, like this is the main theme, right? But I think it only brings us to the main point of the letter, but I think it brings us to like just really what is the main goal of our entire lives. I think we're going to see that in this next part of the passage. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, and we're going to finish out the paragraph. Philippians 4, verse 18 says this, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Forever and ever. Amen. Paul, as I said before, said in the passage just above this, that he knows how to be brought low to be in need, and that he knows how to abound. Well, I don't know if you noticed, he just told them right now that he is now abounding. Even though he's in jail, even though he could be put to death because of the fruit of righteousness that is being borne out in their lives, because of their lives of Jesus Christ, even though he is in prison, he's abounding because of their relationship with him. And that's kind of beautiful. That's kind of beautiful. But it's not just him that abounds because of their love and humility in Christ. But he's telling them that, that you're going to abound also. Paul describes their their gift to him as a fragrant offering, right, as a sacrifice pleasing to God. I don't know in the first read-through if you picked up on this, but this is pointing back to the Old Testament sacrificial system, right? And so in the Old Testament sacrificial system, people did bring actual sacrifices like a lamb. That's why we call Jesus the Lamb of God, like a lamb to the temple or to the altar to sacrifice, to atone for their sins, to cover up their sins. But did you know there's also praise offerings? Did you know that? They'd also bring animals, they'd also bring other things as a praise offering, and it was offered as a praise, as a thank you, as joy to the Lord. And it says when these praise praise offerings were burnt on the altar, because they would burn these sacrifices, that the smoke rising up to heaven was a pleasing aroma to God. That it was a pleasing aroma to God. Now, I love grilled and smoked meat and the smell of it about as much as any human being on this planet. That's why I smoke meat all the time, I love it. But do you think God's main point is, Man, I love, when you, when you cook those lambs and you, and you burn them, I love the way that smells. He might, I mean, because he created it that way, but like, listen, God the Father is spirit. He doesn't literally have a nose, right? He knows what things smell like. He created all of this, right? But that's not the point at all. It's that God, when you come to him in true praise, when you come to him in joy, when you come to him in love and offer this thing because you love him, because you want to worship him, it brings God so much pleasure that God delights in those offerings. He delights in those sacrifices because God delights in humble, generous hearts. As, as Romans 12.1 says, now that we know Jesus Christ, we don't have to have a, bring sacrifices to God because Jesus Christ is our once and for all sacrifice, but as Romans 12.1 says, we now give our lives as a living sacrifice. This church is giving their lives as a living sacrifice for the sake of God, and Paul's saying this is going to be built up in your account. God delights in humble, generous hearts. Can we just think about that for a second? I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But I, that's nothing. If you've been coming to Freshwater, if you know the word of God at all, it's not surprising that God loves humble, generous, loving hearts. But have you ever thought about what that says about God? That this is what God delights in? Generosity, humility. Love for other people, love for him, but also love for other people. Can you imagine, and this is so obvious, but I was just thinking about this this week, can you imagine what our world would be like if, not, I'm going say everybody, almost everybody was really generous, maybe even radically generous. If everyone humbly, when we say humble here, the humility we're really talking about is looking to the interests of others, looking to the care of others. If everyone was humble in that way, if everyone really strived to love each other, just picture for a second what the world would be like. It sounds nice, doesn't it? Like everybody would be taken care of. There wouldn't be wars. There wouldn't be all of these things. By the way, this is a reflection of heaven. But like this, doesn't, this is not just what God wants. This is who God is. This is the God that we serve. This are, these are the things that he delights in and longs for. How incredible is that? He's not God on high just saying, don't do wrong, do good or else. He's saying, no, I want you to be filled with humility and generosity and love and joy in me. That's what it means to glorify me. That's what it means to live for me. And that's a beautiful thing. God delights in humble, generous hearts. So much so that Paul confidently proclaims that because of the fruit of Christ's righteousness in their lives, that God's going to take care of all their needs. Now, I think what Paul is mainly talking about when he says God's going to take care of your needs is he's talking about their spiritual needs. Right, and again, I think that's the main point, right? But does God sometimes also take care of our financial needs? Right, of course he does. That's not health and wealth prosperity gospel. Sometimes God literally provides. Sometimes God literally has someone put a check in the mail. In the last two or three years, that has happened to my family again and again and again. We were in need and somehow, some way somebody said, I'm going to take care of you in this way, to the point that like literally we needed about uh, like this much money, and then we got a check in the mail from this much, for this much money, and someone said, I was just praying, and I just felt like, I just felt the need to send you some money, and it was the exact amount. God sometimes does those things. Don't be afraid, man, especially if your heart is humble before the Lord, don't be afraid to ask for those things, Maybe the answer will be no. Maybe the answer will be yes. But this is the God that we serve. And Paul is saying, because you love God, this is such a beautiful reflection of God's love and his righteousness in you, your humility, your generosity, God is going to give the same to you. God will be radically generous with you because that's who our God is. He's radically generous. And we just need to believe that. We just need to believe that and trust him in that. Or as our passage today says, God does all of these things according to the riches of his glory. I love that phrase. The riches of his glory. In other passages like Romans 2 and Romans 6, there's lots of places that talk about this. When it talks about the riches of God's glory, it talks about how this is like the riches of his kindness. That God doesn't just have some kindness, right, for you. He is wealthy in kindness. He is overabundant uh, over in kindness. He's rich in kindness. He talks about the richness of his glory in wisdom and knowledge, his, his riches of glory in his patience, and yes, his riches of glory in his provision for those who love him and trust him. God wants for us to have lives that are pleasing to him. And how, how does he reward us for that? He, he He longs to pour out his riches on us because he's so generous, he's so humble, he's so loving. Our God is so good to us. And listen, I know, sometimes it's hard to see. When you're suffering and things aren't going the way that you think they should, that, that you want them to, it's hard to see. But God is promising you, I'm always with you. Paul is in jail, suffering because he preached the gospel, because he loves Jesus, because he did exactly what God told him to do. He's now in jail suffering, maybe going to, put to be put to death, but because he understands who his Savior truly is, he can't stop talking about how rich God's glory and goodness and kindness and love is to him. Because Paul gets it. No matter what his situation feels like today. He knows the grace that God has given him. He knows what God has poured out onto him and what he deserves. And so he's gonna, he knows he's going to have what, everything he's ever going to need for an eternity. And so he's content. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but, but living, for this, living this kind of life isn't as much about striving for kindness. Now, should we strive to be kind? Absolutely, we should strive to be kind. But what it's saying here is not as much about striving to be more kind or more patient or more wiser, all the other things that we've talked about, but that by living your life in the light of the example of the divine humility of Christ, living your life for the love of God will fill you with the fruit of God. It will be built into your account. So yes, you'll strive to be patient, but God will do a work in you so you're actually capable of being patient. Yes, we should strive to be kind and respond, respond kindly, but as we follow God and love God and trust God, he builds up the fruit of righteousness into our account and we start to actually become more kind. We're transformed to be kind. Like as we try to be humble, man, trying to be humble is a hard thing to do, but as we strive to be humble, as we follow Jesus Christ and we trust him, he's transforming our hearts, he's transforming our minds. So we're actually capable of not just being humble, but having like divine humility in us. The capability that even though we don't have a ton of money in our bank account, we're we're able to be radically generous because we trust God, we trust Him, and we trust what He calls us to do. Now I'm not saying if you have $17 in your account that you should automatically give $17 away, right? No, No one's saying don't be wise with your money. The Bible calls us to be wise too. But like, what if we? I think a lot of us lean a little too hard on, no, I have to be wise, and not quite. We don't lean quite towards, no, I need to be generous, and I'm. Listen, I'm in that boat. It's been a lifelong war for me. For me, money has always equated to not status, not all this. I don't care about any of that. It's equated to safety. It's equated to comfort. It's equated to I can have the life I want to have. I don't care about showing off money. I don't care about being a millionaire. But that was the battle I always had to fight when I had a little bit more money than we do now. I want to be wise with my money. Yeah, you need to be wise. But you know what's more important than, maybe even a little more important than being wise? Being generous. Seeing the radical generosity of God and the radical generosity of this church and being generous and trusting God with that and letting Him build the fruit of righteousness in you so that you become more and more generous. And what God is saying here, what Paul is saying here, is that God will honor that generosity and take care of you. This is what's going to make you better. Oh, so often we have, what, however you think of this, so often we have thoughts like, shouldn't I just be better? Man, God just wants me to be better. Should you be better? Yeah, you should. So, so should I, right? But listen, how, how, how many of you have really felt really successful and really good about yourself by trying to be better and then accomplishing, man, now I am better. I'm good. I'm, I'm nailing it. How many of you feel like that in your life all the time? That's a, like, listen, that's a painful struggle, isn't it? Because it's just a cycle of shame. And even when you're doing better, you become self-righteous and judgmental. And then when you fall again, you just fall even the, hard, even the harder because you're so hard on yourself and everybody else wants to be hard on you too because you fell. No, what, what God is not saying be better. He is saying live for me and I'll transform you so you're actually capable of being better. And what does being better mean? Being more holy being more like my son, Jesus Christ. Actually being filled with the fruit of righteousness. That is what this is saying. And you know what happens when you bear the fruit of righteousness in your life? Not only are you transformed to, act, to be capable of doing it more and more, but this is what John 15, 8 says. But this, listen, this is what, one of the most important things you're going to hear. By this my Father is glorified. Like, listen, we exist to bring God glory. And this passage is saying, you want to know how to give God glory? This is it. Like, it's not the only way, but like this is it. John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified. you paying attention to what comes next? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In your own heart and in the hearts of a watching world, you bearing the fruit of Jesus Christ is going to prove to them that you are a believer and it's going to bring glory to God. Now, how did Paul close out this this encouragement and instruction to the Philippian church in this letter in verse 20? To our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. A life where we are living for God, a life where we are, where God, I was thinking, where God is filling us with the fruit of his righteousness, a life where we are pouring out our lives for the sake of other people is ultimately a life that brings glory to God. Do you remember what Philippians eleven said? Let me just read it to you one more time, for the third, for the third time. Philippians 1.11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Us bearing the fruit of Jesus Christ's righteousness in our lives bring glory brings glory and praise to God. And all of Philippians, and really all of the Bible, is pointing us to that one singular truth. We exist to bring glory to God. And I think I've said this multiple times in the last few months. But it's one, I think, of one of the most beautiful truths that I've been wrapping my mind around more and more and more. Is that in that process, this this beautiful thing that God does, that in the process, as we learn to live more and more for. His glory, more and more for his name, more and more to, to praise his name, to make much of his name. In that process, God is lavishing His the riches of his glory back on us. Do you see how God works? We bring him more glory. He takes that glory and lavishes his richness on us so that we might become more like Christ. And in the end, what does he promise he's going to give us in that process? Joy. He promises he's going to give us peace. He's promises he's going to give us hope. He's going to grow our love. That like Paul says that our love will abound more and more. And that he wants us to know that we'll have all we ever truly need. Our faith is not about be better. It's about giving glory to God and then God in return pouring out the riches of his love back on you because he cares for you. Because he loves you. Because he actually wants you in his family. As I say all the time, we don't really even choose to love our kids. We just love them because we love them, and that's how God loves you. I want to pour out all of my goodness on my kids. I want them to experience all the joy and all the peace and all of the things. That's what God wants for you. Why are we looking at a God that is just saying, be better? Yes, he wants us to grow and be better. Why? Because when we're better, when we're more holy, when we're more Christ-like, we bring him more glory, and then he pours more of his riches of that glory back onto us. Man, what a Man, he's just so good to us. That's the God that we serve. What a generous, faithful God we serve. How dare we look at him, the guy sitting up in heaven trying to tell us what to do. No, this is who he is. This is how he operates. So with that, let's look at the final words of this letter that we've spent nearly 40 weeks in. Read with me in verse 21 through 23 to see how Paul closes this letter. And I'm going to say brings the whole book full circle. Philippians chapter 4, verse 21 says this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers, the church, who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. I think that means the whole Roman church and all the Christians in Rome, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, honestly, Paul closes his letter in the way that he started it. Let me start here. In chapter 1, verse 2, Paul said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So here, much in the same way, he says this. At the end, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Church, this is all about God's grace. He's in prison, writing this letter, but even while he's in prison, all of the saints are coming to talk to Paul. And he's sharing the gospel with all of them. And he's encouraging them in Christ. And now he's writing this letter to the Philippian church. That's uh, two weeks away if you travel quickly, right? And the saints that are with Paul are saying, hey, tell our brothers and sisters in the Philippian church that we love them. That, that we're for them. Because he uses that word I love again. Saint. You are a saint, Christian. All the saints here greet you. And then this is beautiful. We can just, this is one of those things we can just read quickly. He says, and all of the saints of Caesar's household greet you as well. Now, we don't, mean, we don't know if, like, like that's, the, that's like the Caesar of Rome, the emperor of Rome. So we don't know if that's literal family members in Caesar's house, household, or if that means people who work and are a part of Caesar's household. But do you know how encouraging that would have been to the Philippian church? Paul's in jail. They're, like, genuinely worried about him. They're, they're worried he's going to be put to death. And Paul's saying, what he, with that statement, what he's saying is, oh, yeah, and the gospel's moving so powerfully right now that even Caesar's household is being converted to, to Christianity. Even Caesar's household are beginning to believe. Don't worry about me. God's got this. I might be suffering, but look what he's doing. Even those of Caesar's household are sending their greetings to you, Philippian Church. Be encouraged. Your God is good. Your God is powerful. This is all by the grace of God. And this is what's hard for some of us to understand and wrap our minds around. And by the way, we get it. Even Paul's desperate suffering was by the grace of God. Because Paul is not turning to himself in his suffering. He's looking back to his Savior, saying, all this is doing is making me more like you who suffered for me. So I'll trust you in this. And as we saw in Philippians, not only is the imperial guard maybe the most elite fighting force in the world, he says not only is the imperial guard being converted to believers, but Caesar's own household. Look what your God is doing. No, don't worry about me. I'm content. I've got the strength of Jesus Christ. You be fa- we'll be faithful here. You be faithful there. And just trust that God's going to take care of every one of your needs. You continue to grow in the fruit of his righteousness. Oh, how beautiful is that, church? If only we could live in those truths, we could believe the way that Paul does. Don't take that as shame or guilt that you need to be better. No, look to his example. Look first to the example of Christ. Is That's all Paul's doing is looking to the example of the Savior and trying to live the same life. Look to the example of Christ. Look to the example of Paul and ask God, God, help me to believe the way that Paul believes. Help me to trust Christ in the way that I need to trust Christ. Help me to believe no matter my situation, the grace that you've given to me. Because church, we are born and we, are, and we live, and we are saved, and we grow, and we thrive, and we worship all by the grace of God. All by His grace. It is God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit in us who believe that we can accomplish anything and do all the things that God has talked about. It's by Him that they're made possible. Even this letter that we're going to close today, written 2,000 years ago to a church around Greece, it's still God through that ancient text is still pouring out his grace on us today, isn't he? It's still encouraging us as his saints. So yeah, the Bible's filled with God's commands. Yes, it's filled with God's wisdom, it's, but it's also encouragement and, and knowledge so that we can actually be capable of walking in all the things that he's asked us to do and that he's calling us to do. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure that the lessons that we've learned through this, through this amazing book don't just start to fade away and go by the wayside because we're moving on to something else as a church. This is the kind of letter, all of scripture, right? But this is the kind of letter if you meditate on, if you read, if you pray over, if you pray what God is saying in this, that you talk to God about this, you talk to others, it has the power to literally transform your life. It's so good. There's so much here. So don't just move on but let the truths of this root deeply in your heart. Let them always be with you and you'll be amazed at what Christ will do in you and Christ will do through you. Display the divine humility of Christ and your lives will bear the fruit of the righteousness of Christ. And through bearing that fruit, your life will bring glory to Christ. And always remember, it's all accomplished by the grace that is found in you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.